Thank you again for joining back for another episode of the Manifesting Podcast. We have John Rosenberg here with White Unicorn, co-founder from South Africa, who has an amazing story he's going to share with us. Uh, I'm your host, Tyler Janes. And John, yeah, you grew up in South Africa, born and raised there? Born and raised, Cape Town, South Africa. Yes. And what was, uh, what was that like? Uh, I had the best childhood. Uh, I remember I have a twin brother, a sister, and I just remember being outside every day, running around, playing sports, being at the beach, running up and down a mountain. Uh, I kind of took it for granted because you're a kid and you got all this stuff out your front door. And then as an adult who's now moved to Texas, uh, I look back at that time and it was a, it was a magical time uh, for me to be around. And, and just I, I, to this day, still, I have like such a close tie to Cape Town in South Africa. I also send half my friends who get engaged to go have their honeymoon and love planning their trips because I just want everyone to go there. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. How, how um, when did you move to Texas? It was 1993. So I was probably close to 11. And our my parents uh, were my age now. So exactly my age now, 41. Uh, they had three kids who were, I guess, two twins who were 11 and an older sister who was 13 at the time. And they completely gave up everything they had to come to the United States. They loved the idea of what Americans stood for, uh, what America stands for, stood for. And we had some family here in Dallas. And when we were born, I know my parents applied for the green card program, but didn't think anything of it. And then 10 years later, so all the paperwork kind of came through. We had to come here to kind of get the green card. So my parents booked a trip. No interest to move to America just to get the green card, go to Disneyland, and then go see some family in Dallas. And then next, a few things led to another, and, and, and here we are. So. For people that don't know about the yeah. green card, when you apply for that, you know, there's permanent residence, or it, it sounds like you were looking at doing just like a temporary trip to America. Yeah, I think I was too young to understand the actual options about certain visas and working visa versus permanent or not. Um, but my understanding was, Yes, once we got it, my dad had had the idea to move the family here. I still remember this as a little kid. We were in Disney World and um, my parents sat us down and said, hey, what do you guys think about moving to America? And we were sitting in Disney World. So we think America is Disneyland. <laughs> like, right, we're just right. like, this is the <laughs> greatest idea, mom and dad. Like, we're, you're a little kid. Um, didn't understand all what was involved with that. You know, just kind of look back at that and go, now with my parents with three kids giving up what they did to come here, I'm like, wow. But back then as a kid, I didn't even, I was like, this is fun. <laughs> so, yeah. And so y'all came just for Disney World? and We then came to Disney World. We got the green card. I even remember getting the card and, the, and I was like too young and it was pink. And I go, why is it called a green card <laughs> if it's pink? And I had this whole like little kid conversation with like them and, and all that. But then going to see the family, uh, we had some family in Dallas and then things got more serious. I didn't know that our parents were probably looking at it more seriously than than they let on. Mm. And then um, I remember we we, came, we actually left and moved back to Cape Town. My dad stayed. This is I'm going <laughs> to date myself a little bit, but he stayed and someone showed him a house and he took a VHS record of the house, sent the tape to my mom. <laughs> and my mom goes, I like it. And we, he, my dad got the house. The next thing we knew, we were packing up and we were moving to America. It, was, it felt like that quick. Um, but obviously they had thought about stuff. They were planning stuff. They were thinking about our future. Uh, we didn't, we just thought we had an extended vacation. We were going to Disney world. Now we might go back to America. This is great and fun. And I got air Jordans on. Awesome. <laughs> what did your parents do in, in Cape town when you were growing up? Um, 
my mom took care of us. So crazy household with a twin brother and a sister and kind of was our taxi driver and did everything for us. My sister was active tennis player and played soccer, my brother, cricket, tennis, everything. And my dad had, we had a family business that our entire family was involved in. And it was um, a clothing company at the time called Fishini. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a JCPenney or a Macy's, you know, that, uh, probably JCPenney yeah. is probably equivalent in South Africa. Um, and then, uh, but tied for everybody. It wasn't a high-end brand. It was it was a, probably a lower-end brand, but it was a clothing line for women. I used to remember going to the factory to see how clothes were made. I really liked, when I, even as a kid, I was like, bottles would come in and I would see them in outfits and I was like, running around the factory and stuff. But it was a family business that a lot of um, uncles, grandparents were involved in. So it was fun to be a part of. And um, seeing my dad give that up to move to the States. Again, I didn't realize what they were doing to come here because they had a very cush, happy life in South Africa. Um, but I think they were had a foresight to understand what was going on in the country at the time. This is when Nelson Mandela was in prison. And yeah, we talk a little sure bit about, about that. So yeah, I think at that time there was uncertainty around what was going on culturally in the, in the country, but Nelson Mandela was in prison and I remember watching him on TV. I think we had three channels and all the channels had him parading down the street being released. Well, he was in jail for 20 plus years through um, probably nothing he did wrong. It was just what was going on back then, kind of what America went through in the 60s was going on there maybe closer in the 70s and 80s. And in hindsight, he was a great leader for the country. But if you're there, I think a lot of people had fear for where's this country going? You've got someone who's been locked up. How can they lead a country? Um, wish we knew what you're now. He's one of the best leaders we've ever had um, right. in South Africa and, and obviously admired, but he's such a special character and person to do that. Um, but yeah, that was, I think, a catalyst for uncertainty not right. so much fear, but maybe a better opportunity for children for and my parents deciding that maybe coming here would do that. So um, you you guys come here when you're 11, then what your parents sacrificed everything yeah. to move here. Yeah. And so what did they start doing? What, so um, I, I, I remember my dad, um, uh, we have a Jewish background and I know this is an African Jewish community and people seem to find themselves. For some reason, everyone always like we, we kind of know every South African Jewish person in, in Dallas. It just they just naturally all know each other or someone was family friends with someone. And I believe he got tied up with a few different people that we knew there and tried to, uh, some things and then ended up in with a partnership with Wheels in Motion. Um, oh. And it was a bike store in Richardson yep. that sold bikes. And my dad and his partner decided to expand the business to fitness equipment at the time. So they were one of the first to add in-home ellipticals and treadmills and all the stuff that we know that we see in everyone's home. They added that component to the business um, and then started adding multiple stores. So they had the bike stores and the fitness. So they had a wheels in motion and a fitness in motion. And then during their partnership, they just expanded that. I think they went from one store to 20, 30 stores in the state and adding fitness in motion, adding busybody, acquiring busybody stores. I think they had fitness headquarters. So they pretty much had a monopoly on all the fitness equipment in the state of Texas. So any line that you needed from elliptical, treadmills, home gyms, all that stuff, you had to go through their stores to purchase them. Um, And we kind of grew up in that retail environment of fitness equipment. And they slowly um, sold off, I think, the bicycle component. Wow. So your dad just had a natural, just entrepreneurial spirit, doing it in a different country, in a different continent, and then coming to America and reaching into you know, this, this bicycle company and expanding it. And 
yeah. taking that same approach. I think uh, I think in South Africa, what what I always recognize when I go and look back and try and analyze this kind of stuff is seeing um, who my parents were surrounded by. Every one of their friends were. I, I didn't even look at as owners of something. They just founded something we needed. If you needed the paint thing, so and so's dad had all the was the paint shop guy. If right. you needed all the car fixing, so and so's dad or mom was that. So we grew up in an environment where you weren't going to stores with brands and names. You were going to family, friends, or people you knew who started these companies. So for me, that was just a normal way of life. And I, looking back now, I think I was influenced by all these people doing very cool, amazing things that they created or did or ran themselves and turned into family businesses. And some are not a one-off paint shop, but these massive companies that have done crazy, crazy numbers and do very good. But to me, looking back, it was more of a lifestyle of everyone there kind of, that's just how they grew up doing all that because they weren't those opportunities when they were growing up in, in, in Cape Town. Right, right. So you're here in America and it's now you're, you're a teenager going yeah. through what, where'd you go to high school? Where'd you, yeah. junior high, did you play sports? Like what was John's life in that? What's in so funny is I, I naturally think we had such an easy transition. I had a twin brother who, who was my best friend and we played sports. And it wasn't about the school and academics, it was always sports related. We're two guys, we played cricket, played tennis, we played soccer. Yeah. Uh, and when we came here, we started playing baseball. We started <laughs> playing basketball. Uh, our soccer coach never allowed us to play football. I can get into some of that, but we're natural athletes and we always had each other. So we always had someone to play with and we loved it. So it's all I remember doing is just playing every sport. Yeah, we went to school and did all that stuff, but just everything we did together, playing all the different sports in Dallas. And we got connected into a community through sports as um, as teenagers easily. And it was an easy, very easy transition because it's it's like a universal language. Right. We don't even have to, yes, we spoke English, but there's a massive cultural difference. Once you're on the field in any sport, you kind of get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just kind of get it. So. so were the big sports in South Africa, cricket and soccer? Cr cricket, rugby, um, cricket, rugby, and uh, soccer was up and coming. Really? I would say rugby and cricket were first. And being younger, cricket's like baseball, so we could play it at any age. And we had the advantage of crickets very similar to baseball in that you bowl and bat. We could bowl and bat to each other. So we got very good very quickly because we always had each other to play with. Um, never got into rugby. We were too young. Uh, my dad was a rugby player, so that would have been fun to kind of to get into. And he was a swimmer. Hated the idea of swimming. I think we took <laughs> swim lessons and were like, no, like fun in the beach. Not we're not doing laps. So I knew swimming was out, but he broke South African records um, wow. as a teenager in swimming but we just never got into it. And our sister was also very athletic. She, and uh, before we left, she was ranked at the time un, in under 12 females as the number one tennis player in the country when we left. Um, again, I didn't think anything of it. She's just my sister and I'm an 11 year old, 10 year old kid who's my sister, but she was very good at tennis um, and then came here and still played and got into academies here in the US pretty quickly. Wow, so playing sports is really how you got immersed into the American culture when you got here. Wow. Was it? Was there a difference or was there any sort of, I guess, um, adaptation or learning curve when it came to just becoming immersed or making friends with Americans? No, that and, and that's what's so funny. There wasn't that like, oh, just complete shock. I mean, from day one, when we were on the soccer field, I, I, I think a coach was trying to tell, he told his version and he was Iranian soccer coach um, who owned the club and did the soccer thing. I think he, her, hearing his vision of my brother and I showing up, we had the wrong equipment on, but half our stuff was in storage. But we were kids, we had no clue. We just yeah. wanted to play soccer. Yeah. And there was other kids playing. 
we thought we were good. Let's go play with them. So it was so easy. It was and it was fun. Like I just remember having the best time and meeting all walks of life. And to this day, even walking around Dallas, everyone has all these different communities. But we know so many people from all over from just being 10, 11 year olds and playing different sports with them. Uh, it's amazing it. what the sports world can do and yeah. playing all those different sports growing up. And the, the carousel that we talk about all the time and at Influxers, like the coaches and the players, like they'll go to different levels of teams, uh, different colleges across the country of coaches go from, you know, the West Coast to the East Coast in one year. And then the networks that you, you develop. I'm, I remember when I played at Baylor, a lot of the coaches now or the coaches that were on staff then yeah. are now at Texas Tech, UT, uh, TCU, uh, West Coast, like USC, North Carolina, Miami, like all started and we were all there together. And so you can all stay connected as you grow. And it's been, you know, uh, five, 10 years of, of doing that. And for us, we landed on a random field and uh, um, with a coach that had a vision. We didn't know this at the time. He was collecting players from all over to form this team. And um, it changed the course of our lives. We ended up quitting every sport and dedicating ourselves to one sport, to soccer. And our, the, our, our approach to it, our discipline and what we did and what we stayed at, and then ultimately getting scholarships but our livelihood, to your point, and our future of being around was all dictated based on happenstance with this right coach on the right team at the right time. And it changed the, the future of my brothers and I was. I mean, that was the next 10 years of our lives. We're still friends with all those guys today. They mm. all went to different Division One colleges to play soccer. Some made it pro, some went on the national team. Um, and that coach is one of the most successful U.S. coaches ever now. Um, Who is it? And, it was Hassan Nazari for the Dallas Texans. And he grouped, wow. he added the girls' side and, and won every state championship, every regional championship. It's got national champions. Uh, I know soccer has changed a lot since we played. There wasn't yeah. a feeder system into the MLS, but back then it was getting on uh, regional national teams and obviously getting scholarships to play in college, which uh, we had won a lot of things, which was fun and cool. But then going to the next level in college was um, also amazing. So were you playing in high school soccer? We played at high school. It, for us, it wasn't that competitive. Right. Um, the club teams were the more. The club teams was where it was at. And be. again, super lucky. We're at Plano now, just be from where we live. <laughs> My parents didn't know. They chose a house. By the way, they're still in that same house wow. to this day. So From when you moved here 1993, years ago. It's two, yeah, 2022. They're in that same house. Um, so when to, to your point about high school soccer, we're on a team now. We didn't realize we're the biggest high school like in the state. So there's 1,800 kids to which, choose from. Which is which Plano? We, we were Plano. And we were Plano before Plano, Plano West. So we were just yeah. Plano Senior and Plano <laughs> East. Um, we were also very like my brother and a friend, Greg, who was on the national team. We were the first, we were junior varsity guys who play, ended up playing varsity. So we got to take a bus. We thought we were so special to go to Plano every morning to go practice soccer. But then once we were over there as juniors, um, we always were like, we, I think we had egos and we were too confident. We're like, we're gonna win state. So any interview we had, we're like, we're gonna win state. And in our, in our senior year, we were just stacked. We had a great team from, uh, from all the from club, just the size of our school. And we ended up winning state. It was, but we had a blast. Wow. High school soccer was, was just fun. Like club was serious and we've got, you know, it's a different level. High school, we just had fun with each other and, and, and were able to win. <laughs> so. Where was that state championship game? Um, it was soccer. near Austin. I forgot the actual stadium. Um, ooh. And what position did you play? I was playing, I believe, um, left midfield. 
okay. in high school at the time, left midfield. I think I transferred to center mid in college, but left. I was a left-footed player, so stayed on that left side, left back, left mid. So when did you start getting recruited um, in high school? I wasn't as heavily recruited as my brother. So being twin brothers, being on a top team, we thought we were good, but he was very good. Mm-hmm. So he was on the amateur national team. And he was just uh, more naturally a, a, an athlete, like just a much better athlete, faster, quicker, taller than I was. Um, both loved it. We didn't really compete. We, we were like best friends. So it wasn't ever that. Uh, it was just fun to play with. Yeah. So what, what's funny is if I look back, I don't think I trained in the way to think that I was going to be the next David Beckham. I was just having so much fun and we were good and I was enjoying it. Yes, we were training a lot and doing all those things, but it was always fun for me. Um, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't hard, but having my brother to do that. And he was very athletic. He got recruited heavily. And then certain terms we played, I believe starting in our sophomore year, uh, maybe junior year, we were starting getting letters. He was probably getting division one letters. I was probably <laughs> getting division three, which was like, we can give you an academic scholarship and please join our soccer team, yeah. which probably should have gone to Harvard to play soccer. <laughs> like if I can go back in time and think about it, I go, that wouldn't have been a bad choice, but, um, we actually wanted to go together. So we were lucky enough to play certain tournaments where they were high profile enough to get um, recruiters who would see the both of us play at the same time. And one of the schools who loved my brother was South Carolina, the Gamecocks. And at the time, they were not in the SEC. For soccer with Title IX, they wasn't mm-hmm. in the SEC. So we had an independent. They were top five program in the nation. They could play in LA. They could play Virginia. They could play Duke. So a lot of the ACC schools. And then we played out in the West Coast. And we, played, we just played some, all the top programs in the nation as an independent. Um, which was super fun. So we got to travel around the country, but they really liked my brother. And I think they probably just took me as yeah. like a package. They're like, well, I got to take him um, and loved it because South Carolina doesn't have sports, professional sports. Right. So they treat their college athletes um, very well and they show up to all the games. You know, we had one of the biggest attendants for sports, you know, men's soccer college, unless you're really good and you're, playing, you're not, it was fun. Pack stadiums all the time. So it was, it was awesome. It was fun. Um, and I'm so glad I did it with my twin brother. Was, yeah, that's got to be so cool. I can't yeah. imagine. I'm, I'm a, I have a little sister, not a, any brothers, but I can imagine growing up, like being able to play in the yard and kick the ball around or yeah. play the other sports. Like that would have been always having that that throwing partner or <laughs> yeah. that kicking partner. You goalie, <laughs> I, I, like I was I'll struck against you. Yeah, <laughs> um, extra practice all the time. So that's awesome. So you played all four years through. Um, actually, no. So uh, ironically, I didn't. I played two years. And I really put in a lot of effort from when I got there, the level, I knew the level was going to be good. And when I got there, I go, wow, everyone's good. Everyone's yeah. equally as good, if not better now, right? It was just that wake up when I go, okay, cool. I can hang. I've got it. So um, being a freshman and understanding and learning the ways. And then I think going into my sophomore year, I put in a ton of work that year to transition to hopefully get a starting role. And um, when I didn't get it, it was, a, I think I was disappointed. And I realized for the first time, I go, do you want to be this kind of student athlete that's okay with having a, uh, this role with the team. Um, and in my head, I think I was the first time in my life I realized maybe you're not good enough to go pro. Always, we won a lot, thought we were good. I was having so much fun with it. I really had an idea that, nope, we go to college next and then we go pro. That's just what happens. Um, and there was, it was kind of like a rude awakening, but in a good way. Yeah. I think I got evaluated and, and decide what I wanted to do. And it wasn't easy saying, hey, I, I want to give this up. But um, I, I was able to recognize quickly that I go, if you're not the best player now, statistically, one or two percent of the entire top teams here 
a few guys made it. And I knew who those one or two guys were on our team. And they were here compared to like where I was. And I go, I'm just, I just don't think I'll get there. And I love soccer. Good. Check. Have fun. And so then I automatically started looking at options um, and ended up transferring to the University of Texas in Austin, which I loved, but they never had a division one guy soccer program right. at the time. But my, my degree was, um, I think, second or third ranked in the nation at UT. So Which was? It was MIS. So it was Management Informations in the Business Program. In the Business Program, there. And I remember having- One of the top business schools. And I, all that good stuff. And I slowly just right then and there started taking my academics way more seriously. Yeah. Obviously, I did the, the soccer and the um, uh, academics and they get to help you out. But when, you, when that's just your focus, it completely changed what I wanted to. I wanted to go to a top program. I wanted to, to now, because I, I think South Carolina was a good mix. It had, I was an honors business. It was good to do great academics and play sports. But when I dropped the sports side and I could join the club soccer team and have fun, I really focused and go, man, try and be in a top program. And I got to see some of that because we didn't grow up with a college understanding. So what my sister, who was a couple years older, she went to the University of Illinois on tennis. Mm -hmm. So kind of learn about that and what a good school and a program and rankings mean and all that stuff. So. She kind of helped guide us a little bit of understanding what the, the U.S. college experience is. Um, and my parents didn't care. Like, they had no clue. They didn't grow up with it. They didn't get it. They were just, I think, fortunate enough to have kids who got scholarships. And they kind of said, do whatever you guys want to do. So we did. <laughs> what was college life like for you and once you got to UT? Um, was it hard? Was it hard being in the business school? Was yeah. I mean, how so was the, it? I think I had the same awakening <laughs> as, like, academically as I did on the soccer side at South Carolina. I remember being in the lab. <laughs> and just getting my feet wet and kind of going, okay, and going to a class and sitting around and I go, this is a different level. Like it really is. Uh, yeah. I thought I was smart. We're in college. I'm at an honors business program doing good grades. And I go transferring to UT and being in a specific business program in a specific major with very, with a different group of kids around me. I go, holy, I go, holy shit. This is, this is kind of like the same song I got. This is another level, but I enjoyed it, yeah. you know? Um, I was never afraid of it. I go, I kind of, I think I thrived in it. Yeah. So uh, Sometimes you become a you know product of your environment. Yeah. Like you just that. need, you haven't been exposed to something like that before, but yeah. once you're placed in it, it's like, okay, it's going to take a little adjusting, but yeah. I can definitely get to the cream of the crop. Yeah. Um, I f felt confident in that. And I think having, going to a school where I could play sports helped, I think when I was younger, because being much 17, 18, you're still a young kid. So having a um, structured environment, I, I think really helped personally. I transitioned to go to South Carolina. I'm a kid for, I don't know any differently. And they, they go, you've got three a days. You've got tutor here. You've got lights out. You've got game. We go eat these times. You got class. So very structured. I love that actually. Um, and again, because we're playing soccer every day, I just loved it. You know, like I generally loved it um, until I realized I'm probably not going to go pro. And then I go, well, it is a lot of training to not go pro. So maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> How much do you feel like that, that sports background and, going from South Africa, then picking it up here in Dallas, going to South Carolina and going through all the three days. How much do you think that's actually prepared you for the business world and entrepreneurial spirit? Probably more than school, uh, to be honest. Uh, learning how to talk to different people, uh, interacting with different walks of life, um, having challenges that are way more difficult back then that you, you need to overcome, having discipline, having mentors in your life like coaches or other teammates that you look up to. So in every aspect of my life, um, and even today, 
um, staying in shape. Like I try and remember what I did back then. So when I go to the gym or go for a run, I'm like, yeah. hey, I think you can, you, you're capable of more. Um, it's always in the back of your mind. So whew, I think it's half my DNA, you know? Um, right, right. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. So how did you do at UT grade wise? Like, were you good at yeah. grades? Um, I ended up doing just fine. I think I did uh, very, for me, very well, probably at three, nine. I don't remember oh, at the wow. time, three or four, or something like that back then. I'll, I have to go back and look. Amazing. Um, but yeah, I thrived in it. I, I, I loved it. And I think UT was a very social school. It was 50,000 kids at the time. All walks of life again, uh, a very a fun culture to, to experience. And without sports, I felt like the 24-hour day felt like 50 hours now because sports is removed from that. So I go, man, I've got all this time. So time ended up filling the gaps between I did join the, the club soccer team and I met a whole group of guy friends who I ended up living with. And to this day, we're still friends. Uh, and they've done a bunch of different work. We've actually worked together on stuff. So to your point about impacting my future life. But um, and this is about 2002, 2003. Yeah, this was 2003 and four. I think I was at UT. Okay. Um, wow. So, yeah. And how was it? I mean, because obviously they were very good at football. Yeah. Then at the time, did you go to a lot of the games? What was that atmosphere like? Was it cool? Yeah. So definitely did all the tailgating, went to a lot of football games. I, I went to probably a couple basketball games. Baseball I was into because at the time, South Carolina and UT. So I was good friends with the baseball guys at, at USC because we, we shared dorms and we kind of grew up together playing the sport. They were playing each other. So when mm. I transferred, I was like, do I root for UT? Do I root yeah, for my yeah. buddies at South Carolina? So I kind of had that um, fun rivalry. But no, I went to all the sporting stuff. I loved it. Um, I actually ended up joining a group to kind of petition on the whole side of Title IX um, about understanding about men's sports and women's and how you can add more scholarships. Because once I was there, I was like, man, this is such a great school. I wish there was an opportunity for other kids to come up through sports programs. And um, I was naive. I got meetings with the academic um, director at the time, the athletic director at the time. And we probably had, he probably allowed me in his office just to kind of entertain a fun conversation with a student. But there was, there, there's a lot more to it than just, hey, we can add more scholarships to sports teams. It's that easy and we should. You what know? was your big takeaway there? A big, uh, big takeaway was um, how powerful and big uh, football football is. Um, it, and then looking at statistics, what that does and what the, the revenue generates and brings into programs. So um, a real world example of about, it's not about right or wrong or what people don't want to do. It's not like they don't want a, a soccer team. It's understanding from a practical standpoint that this is actually a business. This program brings in all the money. They fund all these programs. I don't think learning that every sport costs the school money was probably a big takeaway. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was like, oh, look, baseball's full and basketball's full. What was your goal? We were trying to get, obviously, men's soccer and then obviously on the Title IX side, having an yeah. equivalent women's sport to make up for the other rosters. Was there, yeah, I think how we're are trying you to understand positioning it? How do we, what can we do to make it that we can increase these scholarships on certain sports? Yeah. And what do we have to do on the female side on the sports to do that? Because they had a female soccer team in a beautiful stadium. Um, so it wasn't like a one-to-one -one there. It was, what do we need to do on both sides? Do we need yeah. to add sports Add gymnastics. Here? And it's not that easy because then you've got to add a full, you've got to add teams, you've got to add buildings, you've got to add structure, logistics. Um, there's a lot more to it. And it's not just a numbers game and an easy, like we're just, we're bringing this team, we can bring in that team. So, yeah. yeah. But a good crash course quickly to kind of say, oh, okay, this is a lot bigger than what I initially thought. And again, I was younger, naive. And, but. So what did you, going through the MIS program in, in UT's business school, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do post-college? I didn't. Um, I got into MIS because I go, I like the idea of business. I go, sounds good. And 
I was always good with computers. Um, as a kid, even in South Africa, my parents had a computer. No one taught me how to use this thing. They put this box out and I jumped on it. And I kind of <laughs> taught myself how to use it, DOS-based stuff. And I kind of learned, my, um, it just became, I, I'm a logical thinker, so everything was fairly easy when it came to computers. So I go, I should be in the business program. I should do something with computers. Don't know what that looks like. Uh, I think my junior year, I was introduced to a class where we were doing consulting work. So you weren't meeting in the classroom. The teacher said, there's these companies. You go interview at these companies and you go do consulting work. And the work you do is what we grade you on. So there's Dell and there's a few others. Yeah. So you form <laughs> groups. You, you go to these companies, you kind of interview, they pick you, you, you do work for them and you lay out, a, you, you try and solve a business problem for them. So if they go, we're having problems with X, we try and learn how to figure out how to take that problem and how to design and build a system to solve that problem, mm -hmm. which is what I ended up doing after college. I ended up doing, at the time, consulting, which back then I still didn't know what that even meant, and which was helping companies um, and using tech to solve those problems. So so what was your first job out of college then? Um, it was with a company called Think Fast Consulting out of Chicago. They were designing and building- Did you move up to Chicago? I did not. Um, this was when I was You're on a plane- working remote before COVID. Uh, working remote <laughs> on a plane every single week. Okay. Um, I did it for five years. So in different industries, at different companies, at different levels, but you're always faced with very difficult challenges, but you had to figure out clever, uh, useful ways to solve their problems. And it's not like everything under the sun. It was mostly around financial reporting, database, big numbers, and how to consolidate the information and then report of that. And if you think of global companies that have masses and masses amount of data from all over the world, how do you look at a P&L and go, is that number for Nigeria GP correct? or not. And if you're making decisions that are in the hundreds of millions of dollars daily, these reports, these numbers need to be right. So we focused on where the, the authentic, like where the data came from, where it's housed, how to build things on top of that for storage of big data, mm -hmm. and then engines on top of that to do calculations. So we did, we ended up focusing a group at the time was called business intelligence. So we built solutions on top of these big um, relational databases that allowed for super fast reporting that gave CEOs or companies access to massive amount of data fast, quick, and it was reliable. And how long did you do this for? About five years. Um, so you're now, you do this for, for five years. You're now about what, 27, 28? Yeah, that feels about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what was kind of that next step? What made you want to do something different? Um, I think during that time, I was like any other guy, and me and a buddy like invested in a bar. We're like, we should own a bar. Yeah, Sounds yeah. fun. Just going <laughs> We've all had bar. that like conversation. Every, every guy's probably had that. <laughs> had four or five times. Right? I could run a bar. Um, but we did it. We met some other guys, and we just uh, hit it off. We're still friends to this day. We've actually still have uh, some restaurants, bars together to this day. Um, yeah. And we go, we should just do this for fun. And they helped us. We helped them. And we kind of got our foot in the door with one in Dallas. It was the original Spoozies that was on McKinney and Ruth. Wow. And it was fun and we had a blast and it did well. And we kind of, we learned a lot and the guys who got us involved did too. And we kind of broke away, said less partners, we can do our own stuff. And then we started with Standard Poor, which is still in Uptown, still around, hopefully now an institution in Dallas and um, added a few more from there, but had a blast. And just like the soccer world, when you're in that world, it's a very social place to be. Right. And um, it was, it's fun. And I guess I liked talking and 
hanging out with a lot of people all the time. So you, you <laughs> bought into a restaurant while you were still at yeah. your old company. Yeah. And whenever you guys decided to, you know, get rid of some of the partners and go do it on your own, is that when you stepped away from Southern Company? Or like, when did you decide, not, not like, yet. all right, I got to stop working this yeah. other job and go all in on these restaurants? I've got to remember my timeline, but um, no, we the, we each had a different role in that partnership. Um, and the guys we were with had a much, uh, much more focus on the operation side. We were probably on the ideation, maybe on interior, maybe on funding on some of that stuff. But um, operationally, I didn't have to be there the day to day yet. So no, I think right about that time, I was trying to evaluate what I want to do. And I think I took a step back and I go, I've always considered myself an entrepreneur. This is me personally, but I go, you've never done anything. You've done nothing. How can you, you have a little piece of a bar in here and you've got this hope, potentially other idea coming up that we're talking about, you're not doing anything. So. What I ended up doing was looking internally and going, what do you want to do? So I was very fortunate that I had a job that paid me very well and got me to a place and it got me there quickly. And I took a step back and I go, I should be happy. Because if you asked me to, what I would want pre-college would be to be in this place. That mm -hmm. would be a dream. Well, I got there and I was like, I'm, that's it? So I'm supposed to be happy? I go, I wasn't. And I go, huh. And I realized quickly that money wasn't like the deciding factor in a title on a fancy job. Um, I go, okay, what do you want to do now? Now that you can't. So your parents moved you from South Africa to America and literally you can do anything you want in the world. What do you want to do? So I quit my job and I go, I don't know what I want to do. So I'm going to go just travel around Europe for like, I don't know, two months and uh, think about it and come back. So oh. I didn't have a plan. I knew I wanted to do something and I knew that if I was tied to that, I had to break away because I, I work my ass off. I was working 80 plus hours a week. Um, and I didn't allow myself to even think about other stuff. I was just grinding and grinding. And I, I, I like that work, but I did wake up and I go, this is not that fulfilling. It's not the money. And I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy doing this for the next 20 years. I'm looking at my peers and I go, I'm going to be her. I'm going to be him. Do I really want it? And I go, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I loved it when I did it. So I don't want to take away. It wasn't bad, but I just had that internalization. You, your parents bought you here. You could do whatever you want. Yeah. Is this... You, you have no baggage, you have no debt, you have not like, what do you want to do? Go do it, you have no risk. Um, so I just, I broke away and went away and then um, came back to start my first. Company. How long were you thinking that leading up to probably, going on this hiatus? I would hiatus, say probably this, at least two Europe. or three years. Um, okay. Because I was always thinking of myself as an entrepreneur, ideas and talking to people about that stuff, that has never changed and we can get into that. That has always been, I'm very curious. I love talking about things, ideas um, and I've always, been on the cutting edge of technology so it's just been a natural um curiosity of mine so it wasn't just one day it was over a course of years and then i think i was at a project where it was snowing and i'm not going to say where or like what city or what but it was i look at i go is this is this really what you're gonna be doing for the next and i go maybe now's the time to to to, to break away or um, allow yourself to try something else and take that risk right which if you're it was extremely risky at the time to leave a position that was paid so much to have a career. You've got a career now and you're going to just, you're, you're ranked number, you're ranked so high in this company, you're getting paid this amount and you're just going to leave it for nothing and you don't even know. I go, yeah. It's hard to, for my parents to thought I was fucking nuts. They're like, what are you doing? And they, to, to this day, they were like, I'm confused, huh? And I go, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just going to go to Europe. <laughs> so I quit on like a Monday and I was literally on a plane. Friday and I went to like 32 countries. Went to 32 countries. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. And did, was there any sort of like, I guess like burning desire, for example, for me, I always knew I wanted to start an app. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's been in my heart since like 
I can even remember ever yeah. since I could touch an iPod touch and then it yeah. eventually became the iPhone. I was like, I want to start one of these. I have no idea how to code. Was there anything that you were like, I know I want to get into this space when you made that? No, quit? that was the problem. I had all these different ideas. Um, I knew I was technic technically, I thought I, I understood the apps or computers and things like that. But I never had like this, I have to do this one-off thing. Like, should I do fitness? Because of my parents coming, should I do clothing? I never had that. I always thought business was business. And you end up coming widgets or different things. So you can get passionate about certain stuff. But I, I looked at it as like, no, I want to do something. But I, it wasn't a field yet. Um, and that was part of my exploration stage, like what I want to do, which is how I actually ended up meeting my business partner for one of the first companies that I started with, which was Coa, which was a drink company. Um, a mutual friend says, hey, John, you're always kind of doing these ideas. You've got to meet this guy from Kellogg. He's a genius. He's brilliant. You guys have hit it off. We, we went for a beer at the bar and we, I go, I love this guy. We started talking more and he, he had an idea to extract liquids from fruits and vegetables and create a drink. And I go, people don't do that? He goes, no. I go, let's do it. <laughs> Literally. And he had wow. an idea and I go, so we started talking more about what that looks like, what it is. And we formed the company. Uh, we had nothing. We had a, uh, and this a, is after you got back from Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so at that time I was actually putting myself, there's an incubator in Dallas um called tech wildcatters and i go i need to be around other people who are like thinking like me right they're all doing apps these guys and i go oh this is perfect for me i'm a financial guy i understand business and computers and finance perfect place for me to be um they were an incubator for other startups and i go i'm just going to hang around so i annoyed the owner gabby i remember and i just like hung around there and i met the different teams and the people I was, I was probably fucking annoying, um, to be honest. But I sat in things and she, she, I think she just gave up and was like, just let him. He's not, he's not hurting anything. He's just around this. I try to bring these guys uh, and girls into like different meetings just to, just to learn. And from doing that, um, open up the doors for my, the partner I ended up meeting on the beverage side. But I actually thought I was going to meet um, or take an idea and build an app because I was in this space. But just being open to ideas and talking Someone goes, hey, you're you're in this. You're, you're trying to do stuff. Meet this guy, and, and then that idea. So there was no there was no revelation when you were in Europe. There was no story no. of like I was standing and I saw this burning bush, and <laughs> I, it came to me of where I want to go in life. There no, was none of that. I, I did I did you have a back. burning desire to create something from nothing. Yeah. Um, I know for a fact I didn't okay. want to take over something or buy into something or be given something. It was like I want to create this thing from scratch. Uh, but I didn't know what that was. That I knew, and I don't know why. I couldn't tell you. I don't know where that came from. Um, so this drink thing actually kind of made sense. We, it was an idea in someone's Perfect. head, and we built this company from the ground up. We didn't go acquire another company or go get liquid and just put another bottle. We, we learned about um, irrigation, agriculture, filtration, and understanding it all, and built a company where we extracted liquid from fruits and vegetables in California, dealing with farmers, and how they use water and fruits and there's excess and waste, and we've worked on a filtration process to do this. And we built a brand and a company that to this day was like, felt like a Harvard MBA, probably. Um, felt good about it, loved it. And to this day, I, um, I'm, I'm so proud that we just, I took a leap of, I'm not an expert, I have no idea. I'm competing with Coke and Pepsi, but I didn't care, just do it. And I think a lot of it had to do with my age and just not being scared. Uh, the older I get, you kind of start understanding things a little more and go, oh, I don't know if I should do that. Back then, I just go, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And I loved it. And I, I'm so happy we did that. So. And so this was like 2010? Probably. Um, close to that date. Yeah, that's probably sounds about right. So what happened with that company? I mean, 
so long short, we, we formed a company. Um, for a year, I think we tried to pitch on an idea to raise money because we had the idea, but we needed the money to create the product. It wasn't like I could show you the product. Yeah, you needed the money to build the product. And go here, and you go, <laughs> oh, I get it, I'll try We actually need the money to go uh, create these partnership with farms and then build these filtration systems to do all this work and, and add it to plants, uh, add it to facilities in California. So we learned, uh, again, how do, how do we go get money, right? right. So we did, we're pitching, and we're pitching ideas and we're, We've never done anything in the past. We don't have a great background as entrepreneurs, uh, but we did. We had a we, we found a partner in Mexico who wanted to have a partner in the U.S. And they, as soon as we found them both, we formed. I think we raised just under a million bucks, and they said, "Let's go." And we got going, and we built it all up. It was just myself and Adam. And I'm actually looking at the rooftop of one of the partners in the U.S. who funded us. They owned the building downtown. They go, "If we fund you, you, sh you should come in our office." And at the time, we we're like, "Free rent. That's great." I mean, I think they wanted to keep an eye on this. They're like, we just gave these guys a lot of money. What are they going to do? But they had the top floor. We were like, this is dope. Like, we love this. Um, it's that it's that building right there. I don't know the name. I, name. It's the brick one, the red one with the white. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that top floor is all the way around the building. Our office was that corner. Wow. I've got photos of being on there. We had like plants on that and we had chairs. But that was about, that's where our first office was. Yeah. Wow. So we got that going. Uh, we built up. So we got product now. And then we had to go put it everywhere, right? So you got to put it in Whole Foods, get it on the central market. And we got rolling with, with um, spas, hotels, and then grocery store change. Um, fast forward a little bit. Uh, we we're constantly trying to get enough money to keep up with it. So there's a constant game of that. We went to New York and pitched at like the Oscars for beverages. We came second in the world. So I'm thinking like, we're going to get bought out. Everyone loves us. I mean, second in the world. Everyone from all over the world competed in this thing in New York. And the judges are these big companies like a Pepsi, like a Coke. And um, some people wanted to use our product in theirs for, for kids juices that didn't have sugar. We could use our product. So there could have been spinoff options or we could grow our line within liquor. At the time, I think someone just launched and came out with it was successful with a, a margarita or a gin with a, um, it was light or healthy, I forgot the name, and she sold it for a fortune. So everyone was looking for healthy drinks. Our liquid could potentially be in these because of the way we made it and it had no sugar. But um, we were constantly building the reputation and, and trying to get sales and build upon that. And then one day we came to the my business partner, I, I wanted to stay in the water lane and just have a pr premier product against smart water and go it looks and feels the same but we've got vitamins um i think this is this is going to be the that's that's going to that's going to be it like yeah. we've been doing this for a while now but if we really focus on that and himself and i think the board wanted to do more of a juice and i and i go ooh, i go i have a hard time in my head now i wasn't against it i just go it was a a shift in, I can wake up and fight for something every day, but when I just fundamentally don't agree with the, with where we're going, I go, so I, I bowed out gracefully. So over time, um, there was no fights, there was no issues. I ended up bowing out, getting a seat on the board, selling my shares off to, to them and kind of slowly backing out of um, yeah, my role out. there. My role, yeah. And I think it lasted a few more years. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't hit some targets and the VCs pulled like, Certain amount of millions were supposed to come, didn't, so they had to, um, I believe, ended up folding um, or spending a year to um, unwind the company, if that makes sense. How long were you with them um, from start to finish? Yeah, probably about f four years. So not that long, actually. You know, three or four years. It wasn't that long. Um, and when you think about the first day, you have nothing. Like, we were grinding. And when I can go back to that tech wildcatter story, 
uh, Gabby allowed, we, we, bought, we asked her for free rent in the attic and we cleaned it up and we put our desks there. And she was like, this isn't an office. And I go, yeah, but we just, we'll pay you this much, but we just yeah, want to yeah. stay around all these because we wanted their boardroom for, for, to pitch to VCs because they were going there to pitch. That's what that's, this whole tech wildcatters was doing back then. She's like, but you're a beverage company. It doesn't even make sense. Again, she let us do it. And then actually she ended up seeing what we built up there. And once we left, she kind of built out a whole bunch of offices like ours and doubled the size of the incubator. It was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Just loved everything about putting our head down, building something from scratch, raising money, building a brand, trying to figure out how to sell it. Um, and again, not being experts. And I think that was the key is going, I don't have to be uh, someone who's groomed in this field. I th I'm capable to think about cer certain things with my lens. And uh, I want to use that to my advantage to figure out what to do. And I think a lot of businesses exist because people have been doing it the same way over and over again. And we look at it as like, no, we've got our own ideas and vision. And I go, let's try and execute those. So Right. Yeah. It's hard to kind of have a game plan in your mind and you want things to be perfect, but just starting knowing like, okay, I'm not going to know everything about that, but I know enough to be dangerous and know enough to get started, which yeah. is a big and component. And a work ethic. And like, I'm not afraid to fail and like... I don't mind a challenge and it's okay not to be the best and all like all those little things. I think that's that sports side in me that just you're built that way. hundred percent. hundred percent the sports side. So what were your biggest, what did you learn? What were the biggest takeaways? Like what did you learn? Yeah. I, I felt that confident felt that I could, that I love this and I want to continue doing my own thing. That was my biggest takeaway. I go, I don't want to boss and I want to do my own thing. I, I knew that right away. Um, Again, I didn't have a passion to do something else. The bar stuff started happening more while the COA thing was going. So I ended up kind of so diving So still involved with the bar. Still involved in the bar, but on a smaller level. So while I was un, um, reeling back my role at, with the drink company, I was now putting my foot forward a little more with the, the restaurant and the bar scene because the Dallas Uptown was booming at that time. And there was because you've had one successful, a lot more opportunities were coming our way. So I just doubled down on that. And we ended up doing um, a couple more that turned out to be super successful in Dallas. Um, so go through your process of, of restaurant concept to, you know, launching, being yeah. live. And then like, do you hang on to the equity of every restaurant that you're in? Do you eventually sell? What's yeah, your so I think we were minor um, partners with probably a lot at the Sfuzi days, but it got us involved with like talking the language, understanding the behind the scenes of all that stuff. And obviously meeting the operating partners at the time. Uh, I remember to this day, I was sitting on the patio at Blackfriar and it was, yeah. it was a brunch <laughs> and my buddy was a partner and who started a lot of this stuff with us um Brandon and I can get to him he's super successful um he was like hey so-and-so called us for the a spot and I'm like which spot and he's like and he named the club that was on that corner and I go oh they're gonna close and he goes well they're not yet but the landlord's talking so we got he wanted he saw the numbers we're producing out of that restaurant and he goes he wanted a group to perform over here we're looking at the club, like where we're sitting and we go, I go, tell him we're in. I don't know. I don't know what made me say that. I had no clue what we're going to do. And Brandon's like, yeah, we should do it. And he's like, yeah. So the two of us right then there just were like, we're going to do it. We had no clue what we're going to do. We had no idea what, where, what we're going to name it. it was the best. Nothing. And then a few of us who got together, who've been talking about this, uh, worked on the concept, which ended up being like the mixology was big, yeah. uh, starting, but there wasn't a lot of opportunity, like not a lot of, um, concepts like that. And with age, we started building concepts as we were growing up. So this concept made more sense because we weren't drinking shit well to like vodka from like for four cents. We we're like, I'm gonna 
order this. So we, we thought we were smarter with the way we were choice. So we were building a funner bar for our age group because we lived here and we thought we knew what people liked. But again, not an expert, don't understand anything about this, learned a little bit along the way and surrounded ourselves with smart people that um, we could do this stuff together, but was never afraid. Like I sitting there with him just going, yes, at Black Friar, if we didn't do that, we would never have had that lot. We would ne probably never had that opportunity to open and run standard bar to how this day. How much capital do you need to just kind of open that business? Um, I think there's, there's, there's all different sizes and levels, depending if you have the land Generally. or not. But I, you can do um, anything from, I would say, $300,000 to the spots that are opening up now in the five, six, seven million dollars. It just depends <laughs> on the concept, to be yeah. honest. Um, Back then, I think we were more on the scrappier side. So I don't know, we were probably closer to that three to 500 number to get going on, on ours. It probably, if you take over a second generation space and you keep all the things that matter, like bathrooms and where the bar is and all that stuff, but but change all that, that's cosmetic. So that's cheaper versus completely redoing everything. So it just depends. And in this business, location obviously does matter. Like location, yeah. location, location. So once you find it, depending on the building. But what I will say here is, we're now in a market where we don't need another bar, another restaurant, and no city does. They just need better ones. So if you find something you like that you think could work there, I go, um, maybe putting a dollar value to it based on the concept mm -hmm. um, in a location becomes a lot easier to, to talk to. Did you have to raise capital when you were starting or getting involved with these restaurants? We, we self-funded ourselves, which was fun. Um, and I think my- I From the drink company? From, uh, as a consultant, I'd saved consultant. up a ton of money. Um, okay. we're, uh, well started there. Started with that. Um, my partner, who was a lawyer at the time, so he saved up a ton. Um, the, the beverage uh, company, some stuff from there. But I was always kind of good with money. Um, just as a kid, I was probably not a spender. Tried to, like, I liked the idea of, I always liked making money, not spending. I didn't care about the spending part. Um, so- Back then, we funded it with a few of us uh, and and worked out the rest. But Koa was completely we we sat down and raised a million. We sat yeah, I'm curious said, how you did that. You, you went straight it. to VCs. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, putting ourselves at Tech Wildcatters and watching the whole idea is that they groom a group of people to launch a app. Um, so we were watching this and seeing all this, and then they pitch and they pitch, and their whole idea is how to get seed money and what round and what level. So we learned a lot just sitting around those guys and going, "This is what we should do. We should raise a million bucks." Let's go do it. It took us about a year to do it. Um, to raise the million? Yeah, because- so you're, after, you're, after having like the business plan in place? Had the plan, we were still working on it. We we're trying to figure it all out, but we still couldn't produce this at volume. We could produce it um, in small scale so we can try it. But to do this the way we needed to, it's a volume play. Yeah. The size of how we have to do it. it, it and then it, when you start getting into beverages in general, it's all volume. It doesn't even matter at that point. So how are you convincing VCs to invest money into a company that's pre-revenue, pre product and with an evaluation where i mean where did you get the valuation like what what valuation was it yeah um uh, i believe so adam probably had part of that uh business plan from when he was doing kellogg because i think it was part of his class curriculum that he did as an mba um but no we're two confident guys who think we can do anything um and to this day i believe that adam and i could have literally done anything i still do when you he was very smart and talented it didn't matter what we were doing it goes back to I wasn't that pat. It wasn't this idea. I, I, I sat next to him. I go, ooh, let's do that. And it hasn't been done. So I got super excited yeah. about it. But um, no, I think it was just the confidence to sit down and go, we've got a great idea. We know we could do it. How do I convince other people that to trust us that we are we know what we're doing to get there? So we did what anything, what, what you do. You do your market research, you build a plan, and you try and build a, a team around that. So we had board of advisors, 
uh, a clear plan, a good vision. And um, we try to be smart about it. And we, we knew it was a long game. There's the right partners and the wrong partners. And we just kept at it. So, so. you had you and Adam, mm -hmm. board of advisors from... We just we had a mixed group of people that, again, a lot of mentors who had started other com companies who over the years I've been talking to and meeting with, we kind of, who he had and I, he had some from the college days who were also very successful entrepreneurs. And I'd met some people along the way in Dallas that are extremely successful. So when you put their names on your board as advisory role, um, it carries weight because they're like, these people are in, you're in. Um, and they weren't in on fake name or premise. Like we would sit down with them and regularly talk to them about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And they would give us great advice. Um, even one, I think we shared some of their facilities. And did they there. have equity in the company as well? Those advisors? Um, I don't, I, I, if I go back, I don't think so. Um, going forward, I would be like, that's probably like normal. You have a board, they, they would get some. I, I think these guys were like, these, these guys, like they were all very accomplished. Let me just say that. Um, and they, they had nothing to, they, they didn't, they didn't, and we didn't, it wasn't like, oh, here's a, a points and all that equity. We didn't, they just purely sat down and said, hey, we're wow. happy to help, which was super cool. So when you raised that million, what was the valuation set up? Um, it's a great question. I actually don't remember. This is, I, I should, um, and I can go back and look. Um, I don't think it was high. And that's when we started learning about dilution. We started learning about, oh shit, we need a lot more money. So maybe we did this wrong, you know, all that stuff. I don't think it was a high number by any means. Um, but I don't know the exact number. And so you had to raise again in the future. Oh, we did three, we did multiple rounds. Wow. So, uh, you know, you did first round, then you did seed, then we had a secondary partner, then we got a, a real uh, VC, um, who this is what they do. So. We had a partner in Mexico who had a fund, and then we had a U.S. partner who they were, um, I would just call them wealth individuals who liked our idea and they wanted to back us. And that started everything. And then as we got on there, we, we always needed capital. So we always uh, needed another partner, not in the Ponzi scheme way, in that when you're growing this business, the capital was funding all the machines, right. all the capital, all the people, but it was chicken and the egg. Like you need these things. And if they're worried about sales, I'm like, it's economies of scale at this point. It's not money coming in to sell product. It's building this operation at scale to one day compete at these numbers. So you have to have someone who truly understands that long-term game. Maybe someone who's been in the space because you are asking for a lot and you're not producing um, too much yet. So right. Took right. the right person, yeah, the right partner who believed in us. Ultimately, they believed in us as and said, can these two guys pull it off? At that level, that's, yeah, that's what people buy into is you as a person, right. not so as much and i think i gave we gave everything we had to the idea to the company uh it wasn't like we took it for granted um we wanted to succeed we did a lot um i i don't feel ashamed for it i should feel back and go oh maybe it was a failure it actually wasn't you know um but if you go back and look it wasn't a home run it, it's it's not a household name today which back then this was like a competitor so like i'm drinking this still today i don't know everything about this company um, you know nothing about the one we found. No free so. ads, though. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Blur it out. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, no, that's interesting. It, yeah, it's, it, there's, all, there's, there's several ways to look at it whenever you're going through and building a business. And I think you just hit an nail on the head of it. It's not a failure. There's always, it's winners and learners. Mm -hmm. That was one thing I was told by uh, Coach Kaz, who's actually the head strength coach at TCU right now. Um, he was phenomenal when I was at Baylor and we would do races in the off season and different drills. And he would always label it as it's either winners or learners. Yeah. There's no losers. Yeah. You don't learn or you don't lose. You, you learn. Um, and it translates so well into, into this world. And, and I think you just built that way. Um, I think there's certain people who are smart and can do a bunch of stuff, but the ability to just 
actually accept that you don't mind jumping into the space of unknown and it could potentially fail. Um, Adam, I, my partner at the time, I think does it. The, the guys that did some of the bar stuff, we accepted that. You know, if you look at the bar business, 98% fail, close. What the fuck are we doing opening? Yeah, why are you getting in this business? Never done it. We don't know what we're doing. Should fail, right? Um, and end up doing the opposite. It was did extremely well. Did well above numbers that it should do. So, um, but I think the idea is to have the appetite to actually do it. You know, and and um, it's easier said, but when you're in that place, it's like, oof, you have to give up a lot to kind of jump into something like that. But what were some of the biggest sacrifices you made? Um, I think. I like to be the smartest guy in the room sometimes. Um, I always like to be f fully like aware and I know everything. Um, I learn, I, I read, I wanna be that. And when you're jumping into something new, you just didn't, you didn't have that. So um, putting myself around other talented people and learning that if you're gonna do something, it's gonna take other people who are very good at what they do to help you do that. You don't have to be the best at everything. Um, you don't have to be the best chef. You don't have to be the best bartender doing the coolest tricks. You don't have to understand the finances, but if you get, if you surround yourself, build a team, playing a sport, I go, as a collective, we might be able to do good. And maybe my strengths aren't one or the other, but maybe it's putting this, you know, look at a coach, look at a manager, and I go, maybe that's where I'm starting to learn what I could be good at. So I started not focusing on being the best at everything and learning how to work with other people who are the best at those things and then putting them together, so. Wow. That's, yeah, that's really good advice. We're going to fast forward back to you left the drink company. You're now opening Standard & Poor. Yeah. And how'd that go? It was good. So Standard & Poor well, was doing great. Then we start, we opened up High Fives, which was another um, neighborhood bar, restaurant, yep. you know, college bar, yep. dog friendly patio and all that stuff still around today. Um, then my buddy wanted to open up, he found property in Design District. This is before Design District blew up. And he was gonna move his office there. And he goes, changed our mind, we're just gonna expand where we are, but now I've got this property, what should we do? And we looked at it and we go, let's create an event center. So not a bar, not a restaurant, not um, anything else. It was a part of town we didn't know much about, but um, he, he did, he had the vision for um, this place, this area of town, probably booming in the next 10 years. So he liked the idea of owning something out there. And then what we looked at quickly, we go, let's do it. So because it's in a neighborhood where there's not a lot of people, events made sense because you go to them. Um, you don't have to drive by Starbucks and then walk into something. You, you're just, you have to be invited. So off the grid, we go, we can create a space that we think people will use. We live in Dallas. I go, we go out all the time. We go to all these fundraisers, all these parties, all these weddings, all these like fun things. And I go, there's a white box in a different room all over town. Let's do something a little different. So we created a, a room uh, that had an upstairs and a downstairs with a outdoor view overlooking downtown Dallas and that part of town didn't exist. It wasn't uh, conventional in size and shape, but we made a fucking cool room that you could do a lot of things. It wasn't for everyone, but for the right groups of people, they're gonna have a cool, unique experience. We surrounded ourselves with top talent who had been doing this in Dallas at the highest level, um, who ended up running the place for us. So again, built the brand, built the, made people aware of it, built the building, um, which ended up being Deck on Dragon in the design district. Mm. Don't know if anyone went there. Most people go, yeah. they've been there, there at yeah. some point, which is really cool. It's still there today. And um, ended up being a very successful event um, business in, in Dallas. Uh, short story of that, I ended up selling my role in Stanapore, in High Fives, in Deck. Um, as I realized, like again in life, I'm making a shift. I'm getting, we're getting really good at this hospitality play, but I go, like in my consulting role, as I got there, I go, 
I don't know if this is where I want to be. I love it, but I go, yeah. I'm supposed to put these in Nashville and, you know, let's go to Vail. Let's put this in Fort Worth. Let's go to Frisco and, and do more and just do it for the money. And I go, I'm not sure that's, again, don't know why, just out of the blue. And I go, hmm, I did all these other things because I loved it. So the beverage, I loved the, I wanted to pursue that, did all that because we loved it um, and thought we can contribute. And when it became something that wasn't a daily passion, I go, maybe I'm going to bow out. So again, started from scratch. And I go, hmm, um, if that's not what I'm going to do, now what? And at the time, I was actually having conversations like we're having right now with lots of people, just like I was when I didn't know what I was going to do before COA. And um, what I found myself doing is I go, I kind of doing a little bit of everything. I'm doing a little bit of consulting, doing a little bit of business advice. I'm helping people with stuff because when the bar, you have to do so many different things from running events to starting websites to building brands to marketing stuff. So like, I'm doing all this stuff. I go, I, I, I'm loving this and I'm talking to lots of people and they're starting all these different things. I go, maybe that's the thing because I, I love it. Like I'm doing this unpaid and I've been doing this now, if I look back, for 10 years actually. So um, I actually ended up hitting it off with uh, uh, a guy who helped us do some of the marketing with High Fives. His name was Brooks. And we met through that project. We hired him to help us with the branding and the website, the marketing, all that stuff. And him and I started collaborating and talking more and seeing ourselves in the same room. Mm -hmm. And what he didn't know is I was actually looking to get in this space, whether I do it by myself, with someone, my sister, she had like a sports thing going on. And I go, ooh. Um, and I go, I'm gonna do what I normally do, start something from scratch. And me and him started talking about, he was doing it, but he had contractors. And we sat down and had a conversation about what we want to build a company where we bring in talented people full time to help companies achieve what they need to do. And in our world, you know, this is the branding stuff, graphic design work, websites. I go everywhere you go, you need this stuff. We didn't have our eyes set as being Ogilvy and Richards Group and these massive, big, fancy ad agencies at the time. We knew that we could be a company that could help other people do things. And we started out with graphic design work to branding work. And we added people and services as we became more aware of what we can do and how we can more service you. Because if we're gonna do one thing, you do that and leave. We go, oh, we can do this too. And they need this, so why don't we? And we just actually built the agency over the last six years. We have 30 amazing, talented people. We're literally can do anything now. Like, um, When did you start this? April 2016 was probably the official date. Uh, Brooks and I probably, I call it dated for like a year, where we just said, let's test this out. Um, let's see what we can do. And we got so many clients so quickly with no effort. So you're on your second part of starting a company from scratch. Yep. And now a completely different industry, with not another, the water industry, correct. not the juice industry, not the bar restaurant. Hotel, restaurant. Yeah. I'm going to start a creative company and with this guy, Brooks, yep. that I just met yep. and try it out and see where it goes. Again, another situation where you don't know yeah. anything. Don't know anything. And Again, I think it was the same vision as I had when we started the beverage. I go, I've been in a, been on the other side of the table that someone had to purchase these services at different levels. When I wasn't funded, I go, we had to beg, bar and steal, and we were scrappy. So I understood that model. And I go, when we were funded, I got to sit down with all the agencies from Chicago, New York, Dallas, and I go, I got to see how they work, how they interact, how they talk. And I go, hmm, I think there's another way to talk to people who are in the shoes of running a business. And I go, I felt like these agencies were talented and great, but I go, what I thought they lacked was uh, the business acumen of what people were doing versus just focusing on design. And, and I go, not that I was right or wrong. I go, that was just what I noticed. And I go, I think there might be another way to do this. So you started White Unicorn. Where did that name come from? Uh, honestly, Brooks and I sat down. He had a company called Aesthetic Cogency. 
awful. I can't spell yeah, it. I don't know if I can say it again. <laughs> um, and every time I was trying to talk about Brooks or the company, I catch myself saying Brooks, Brooks's company, his thing. You know that thing? I never, I could ask that. Uh, I go, dude, this is the fucking worst name. We're needing to change this. <laughs> and he, we agreed. We just sat down in a room and just started spitballing names. Um, again, named a beverage company. You know, we've named restaurants and bars. Like I've had, I love that kind of stuff. Um, so when we sat down for this, we just sat in a room and ended up, I think, with a character and an emoji. Um, that's where the conversation led to. And at first, we thought it was like, nah, it's cheesy. This is a little unicorn. Don't want to do it. Then we actually sat down and we go, wait a minute. Does anyone own it? Like, what is it? We go, no one really owns it. What does it mean? It's got positive connotations. You know, white unicorn companies in the startup world in Silicon Valley is like the billion dollar right, firm. Right. So there's positive connotations. It's mythical. It's magical. It's creative. And we just kept talking about it. And we go, white unicorn. And we ended up adding the agency part to seem bigger. We go, we want to do more. So we don't want to say white unicorn and then go graphic designer, white unicorn X. We go, what encompasses more? Um, maybe we're not doing that today, but we, without saying a lot, we can add something. And we anchored the word agency to it. And we knew that we wanted to grow into services, but we didn't even know what they were. It could be PR, it could be interior design. Um, but we knew uh, back then that we wanted to service and help companies do a bunch of stuff. So Right. So you're, you're working with companies that want to, or, or either new concepts and you're building out that brand and that design and that website. What all is White Unicorn able to do? Like I come with yeah. you with that. What is the ideal client for you? Sure. I think back then we were just problem solved. Like we were, we felt like, again, it goes back to some of my consulting experience, yeah. uh, my wide network of people, right? I probably met everyone in the city because you have multiple restaurants, bars, and event centers. So being social, talking to lots of people and hearing about all that was massively helpful. Um, and then just slowly, I think what we wanted to do was solve people's problems. I don't think we came out again and go, we want to do a website and we want to do a brand. We want to do this. I go, we hear you have a problem. Again, we're two guys and we go, we think we can solve that problem. Yes, I think that solution ended up being a website. Um, but we'd also meet and sit with you and go, yeah, you know what, you don't, we can't help you, but talk, talk to our friend, Sarah, she's great at that. Done that my whole life. And to this day, we still have that fundamental, um, same way of, of operating where we wanna hear, we, we hear problems and we try to solve those. And Brooks and I kind of have that ear. And now we've got, so many different services to do that because we 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 always wanted to add one when we, when we thought someone needed it clients right. needed it and we never wanted to add it if we weren't really good at it so um building that slowly after six or seven years um has been fun to build a talented group of people who are a's in all this stuff and now when we look at a client or a company we go Phew, we feel dangerous that like in a way that we could do anything we literally can do anything uh we feel like we're smart we're sharp, we're fast, we're good, we understand where things are moving. And um, we want to make a name for ourselves and work with other people. Like when we met and I go, oh, I knew nothing about, you know, I go, I think there's some there. Let's help. We want to help. We want to be a part of this journey too. Don't know where we're going to go yet, but um, it's that same gut feeling that you meet. We're, we're not volume based. We can't work with everyone. So it is very important that we meet other founders who have visions. And I go, I've been in those shoes. So I, there's, Part of me relates on so many levels and I go, I really wish I could have met White Unicorn through some of the things I did earlier, if that, if that makes right, sense. Right, right. So. Yeah, no, you, I mean, White Unicorn has been <laughs> instrumental to, you know, our company and Influxer and, you know, the the logo yeah. on these white flags, yep. the backdrop on the walls right here yep. and building our website, building so many social graphics and our, our fonts, our, you know, that we trademarked all <laughs> of the names and every the logos you've, you've helped come up with and really building our brand voice. I, I really couldn't imagine 
um, how this company would be if you guys did not come into the picture and highly recommend to anybody. So yeah, I, I, at the time, I really didn't know kind of in your position, what you talked about earlier, like I didn't know what I was really getting into. I knew I needed great graphics, great design, a great voice, a, just a sleek finish. And you, you took that and made it a reality, which I'm very grateful for. And yeah. you're able to do that with so many companies. And I think that goes back to just like the original, uh, the original reason why we do it. We go, we get equally as excited about helping someone else achieve that dream of what that goal is. I mean, so instead of myself now starting 90, 900 companies, I get to do that every day, yeah. you know, and I, yeah. and I, that's when you ask why are you here? I go, I think I'm here because this is actually what I love to do. I didn't have that epiphany at 18. It didn't have that at 12, but as it, where I sit today, I go, you are in a place that you're, you're actually doing everything you love. You're sitting around talking to talented people all day long. You're trying to figure out how to help them bring their vision to life. You're working on super cool, crazy new ideas, some out there, some completely new in a new space. Um, so my curiosity and excitement on a daily basis is there. I'm not waking up and going, God, I'm just taking my briefcase and going to work. I don't right. have that mindset. Yes, I have hours. Yes, I have work. I have bad days. All the same shit as everyone. But at the end of the day, I get equally as excited to wake up tomorrow and go, oh, we got that meeting tomorrow with so-and-so. I can't wait. Can't wait to hear about the next development in Dallas or this next product or this, this new thing that's coming. And then to see if it turns into work, we'll see. But that some projects do and some don't. But that actually is um, probably why I still love what we're doing now. And um, obviously been very lucky to have a partner like Brooks that we get along so well. And he's also got a vision. And I've always had partners along the way. I've always, I think, liked the idea of bouncing ideas with other people that I respected and, and, and thought that they had different ways of seeing things than I did. Um, it's lonely when you're running stuff. Um, you're taking care of so many people and things. So it's nice to have someone that you can kind of relay and talk about and make sure we're always doing the right thing. So he's been instrumental in where we are to get to this place. And obviously the rest of our team, like I, I actually don't do any of the work. I, I sit here and I tell every client, I go, my vision is to understand the client to see if we can help them um, because I know our team's going to execute these things. But um, I enjoy the idea of navigating the navigating what to do with clients and putting together those strategies that our team can execute on. But again, like all the other things, hired much better people in all those roles. I've got right. great UI UX designers. We've got great graphic designers. We've got copywriters who are smart as shit. You know, like... We've got animation, we've got photography, we've got video, but that's their strength. So I look at it now, it's like, again, i am got this team. How do we want to unit? But man, we're we're locked and loaded. Like we're ready for the playoffs. Like let's yeah, go. Yeah, you as know? a leader, so, you gotta be more of a generalist and then hire the specialists and yeah. kind of oversee how all that works. So getting into like the manifesting part of it, where do you, you're six, seven years into White Unicorn now, where yeah. do you see it going? And like, where are you hoping it for? And like speak it into existence here. Yeah, no, so I, I actually love where we're sitting and we're looking over downtown Dallas. Uh, if you look at buildings, I, I look up and I see these names at the top. I go, I want that WU logo, you know? right right on that building one day and and also for it to be recognizable don't have to know my name i don't care about my name so much it's people go oh that's why unicorn or i've worked with them or i want to work there so those are things and i know i'm joking but when i point to that building i go what i'm actually saying is that become to become a household name is special takes a lot and we want to do all the right things to get there and and when two little letters can mean something 
yes, that might mean something to me, maybe to you, maybe some people in Dallas and a few other cities, but like when it becomes a household name, it's just a yeah. different level. And I think we want to build a company and a culture of two things. We want clients to really go, man, I'm so excited to work with this group to, to go to the next level. And we want to attract talent and people that go, oh, I really want to work at a place like this. So those are the two things that we focus on on a daily uh daily uh, brooks and i to kind of wow manifest that one day but we think those yes. are the things that have to happen to to earn you that just want, you want a floor you want the penthouse <laughs> yeah, top floor one the of building. these buildings I want downtown the <laughs> want the whole building yeah um <laughs> wow that's amazing so is there a component to you though like on the personal side and obviously everybody has kind of a, a an exit at some point is there anything you want to do beyond white unicorn that like all right if i do this i'll i'll die happy yeah, um, I don't think I have that like what's missing part. I do think that there's a little bit in me that goes, having a very good exit uh, is something I want. I don't know why. It's not, I don't know, it's not like you need the money, but I think it would validate me and I don't know where I get that from. That's probably a personal thing I gotta struggle with. Maybe it's ego, but saying I did something from scratch like this and it exited at a certain amount. Now, where I get that, I couldn't tell you because what we're doing is great and is, is I'm very happy with. So. Yeah. But it feels like that I like I've checked a mark that you've 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 entered into a new phase of stuff, um, and I am talking to a lot of other people who have done that. They've sold their first, second, or third company, and now they're able to live a lifestyle that they're doing a lot of different things because they've got the means to do all these things. But so one day, but um, very happy with where we are and what we're trying to do. Um, I also enjoy the the VC space, the venture capital. Yeah, we're very similar in nature. We've got design solutions; they got capital, right? Uh, they've got processes um, and they want to hire well to, to execute. But we actually are crossing over now on a lot more. And we're talking to people who are investing in us, looking at us at companies, acquiring. Do we acquire? Do we need investment for capital? How do we want to grow? How do we want to grow to help more clients? So all of that's on the table. And um, that's what we're focusing on is put our head down still, make sure our clients are happy and earn their reputation. I don't think we want to cut corners and do something that's a trick. We want to look back and go, man, we've serviced hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of clients right now. And they're also household names. And we were a part of that story. And my startups are some of my favorites because like you, there was an idea in my head that when they take off, I go, I remember sitting in that room when he was telling me about what his dream was. And now look at it. You know, that is so fulfilling. Um, and I love that. So it's hard to step away from that. Like, I don't know what could fill those, fill that. Like, it's like scoring a goal in soccer. Like, I love it. Um, just just sitting here, I think, uh, seeing a car drive, and I go, there's our work, you know? Um, uh, it makes me feel good, so. But yeah, I think the VC private equity side is something interesting, because you're you're now gonna invest in bigger ideas with people and with capital, so. But I think we cross over, and I think there's gonna be a world where yeah, White I mean, Unicorn now <laughs> is gonna be doing this with a few <laughs> little, of them, so. A little private equity arm. Um, yeah, uh, we're thinking about it. Vertical. But yeah. no, that's, that's actually interesting, because you actually get the first look and yeah. behind the scenes of most companies as they're having ideas um, and just bringing them to life, you you get that peak. Yeah, and and we're, we're, we, we've cheated because we've done it now with hundreds, right? <laughs> so we've and name, seen name, it. Name a few that you've, name a few companies White Unicorns worked with that are those household names that we are working um, towards being. Yeah, I mean, names that you you guys know, probably Michael Kors, Diesel, Kimberly Clark. Um, I think we did uh, UI UX watch design um, several years ago when they were entering in the smart watch category. Um, one's an Italian brand, one's Amer uh, American, all out of fossil. So th those are global big brands, cool yeah, stuff. Big names. Um, 
Uh, we do stuff with, um, in, in Dallas specifically, there's big restaurant groups that we've done a lot of, uh, that were very happy about what we've done. We've got Nick and Sam's, we've got the Mexican, you know, national anthem down the road. Um, and that all stems from the restaurant world, yeah. which we've worked with now, the Crescent Hotel, we've worked with the Adolphus Hotel, we've worked with the Canopy, Hilton Canopy. Um, we're working with other and bigger groups um, outside of that. We've got had a hotel group in, in Tulum. So we're, our network is constantly doing that. But yeah. um, I honestly, I could go on and on and on about name dropping brands. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, John, it's been just an amazing time having you on here. I'm excited to see everything that you guys do. And uh, thank you again for what you've done for our company and Influxer and uh, just in the beginning stages of where we're at. So big, big part of our success thus far and our continued su success is going to be tapping into you and, and your team and continuously utilizing uh, y'all's resource. I think I got, you know, some assets uh, for some wireframes delivered yeah. over today, uh, which is which is great. I'm excited to see those. But thank you for for coming on. Yeah, hopefully no. in a few months in a year, I can we can do this again and talk about where, where you are and yeah. what's kind of changed and see if that VC vertical of white unicorn has officially opened up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and from our side, I go, you, you hired us to help you, but at the end of the day, you're the one doing all the work. So, uh, again, I, I love that I sit in the shoes of, of someone who's tried to start something. It's not easy. It's hard. It's challenging. And, uh, when I met you, I go, this guy can do anything. I go, there's no doubt about it. Him um, and the team he surrounds himself with can get there. He's paving a way in an industry that's new. We're all talking about what's happening here. He's been in it. He hasn't been an expert, but um, he's determined. Uh, I feel like he's hardworking and he's going to figure it out. And I go, those were qualities that just were oozing off of you when we met. And uh, it's probably why I think you're having success with this and it's going to grow and turn into something that you want or, or pivot or, or whatever. But um, keep at it. But we're proud of you and we love seeing it. So please make this a household yes. name one day. And, and, and again, I love the idea of helping the uh, student athletes. I'll be in the bottom half of the building. No, 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 top shit. Half. no, you'll probably be at the top. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, and I appreciate that. And uh, what advice you, you're having, having an amazing story, yeah. uh, American dream yeah. coming over as an immigrant, being successful, playing sports, growing up, getting to college, graduating from UT. I mean, the accolades go on and on. What advice would you give to a striving entrepreneur? Uh, I, for me, I, it was never about finding the one thing right away that, that captivated me that I have to do for the rest of my life. And I knew I wanted to do something. So put one foot in front of the other and take on an opportunity. Don't look at it as like a defining moment in your life uh, when you're 15, 16, 14, whatever those ages are. Take on, learn a lot, be around things. I have an untraditional route to get here. But the only thing that has been something that I've done, which was do a variety of things and learn along the way. So I sit here and I sat in my shoes starting White Unicorn a lot smarter than I would have if I'd never done the 10 other things to get there. I felt like I was destined once I got there, but I didn't know I was going to do all that. And I got that confidence from all the things I've done to get there because I'd sat in so many different rooms, because I'd been a part of different industries and seen so much. Um, I was never an expert, but I constantly learned along the way. And to this day, I'm still learning and curious about a variety of things. But um, my biggest thing is do, just start doing something. Um, just you'll learn. You'll figure it out. You'll go. Um, it doesn't have to be the perfect thing out of the gate. It 
doesn't have to be the most passionate in the one thing. That light bulb never happened for me. But I knew I wanted to do stuff and I was excited to, to put my head down and work. And that's when I started learning the most, when I was actually doing it and not talking about it. Awesome. That was John Rosenberg, co-founder, White Unicorn, successful entrepreneur. I'm excited to see all that you accomplished. Thanks, Thanks for coming Bob. on. Appreciate it, man.